Thanks, y'all. I'm so, I'm so not used to these huge um, screens of myself on there. It's kind of weird. They always ask me if I go out to do anything in, in public. They're always like, hey, did you bring a PowerPoint presentation? I was like, no. If I, now, if I had been in the Air Force, I would have brought a PowerPoint presentation. But I was in the Army. We have a budget for that kind of thing. <laughs> That's impressive. It is. Actually, yes. somebody between services said, man, you looked a lot bigger. Yeah, uh, taller on the screen, and I thought I've been trying to get taller my whole life. So I, I appreciate the yes, screens, Kenny. Yes. So, welcome back, welcome back to Chicago. Many of you may not know that Kenny was here last summer for our men's fuel. You heard about it today, men's fuel breakfast that was at our Blackberry Creek campus. And so the point, though, that I knew we needed to bring Kenny back was before the interview ever started. Two women showed up for the event. It's the first time I know that women have showed up for a men's event. And I thought, man, I would have thought we clarified on the website that this was a men's event, right? Come to find out they saw it on your website, didn't realize it was a men's event and came, so maybe they're here today, but we want to welcome not only those here in St. Charles, but at our Blackberry, Bartlett, and DeKalb campuses as well. We're so glad that you're joining us, and those of you who are here at each of our campuses, especially that are veterans or military personnel, really a special welcome to you today. Now, I know there's... We, we really want to know about your story, and we heard in the video what happened in Mogadishu. We're going to get to that in just a moment. There's a lot more to your career than just that battle, and so I want to take a moment to talk about a few of those things. You have the opportunity to travel really all over the world to share your story and to sing and perform as well and uh, work with some charities. You were recently inducted in the VFW. I mean, just a real neat, uh, ex really neat experiences that God has given you. Now, you just got back, though, from Normandy. Uh, what was that like? What were you doing there? So Normandy, sorry, Sarah, you have a producer here and she's very meticulous. It's why your services come off so nicely. <laughs> um, Hold the microphone here. Um, <laughs> Normandy was the 70th anniversary of the D-Day invasion and I've never really seen anything like it. The, the French people, they are so appreciative of the American military and they dress up like the soldiers and they have ceremonies and they asked me to come over and sing the, the national anthem and the biggest thrill that I got out of it was getting to meet a lot of the, the old timers that had actually jumped in at the, on the D-Day vision and what what struck me was that when you start hearing their stories it was the exact same story like it's the same story I would tell you about the same story my dad would tell you about Vietnam or my best friends in Iraq and Afghanistan if given that opportunity right. you would talk about the people that were on your left and your right. No one's over there bragging about, look what I did. It's all, always about, they know by the grace of God, the only reason we make it out is because of the people around us. So it, right. it really was a, a, a privilege to get to go. You mentioned going with your dad. He was a ranger as well. What yep. was that like for him to be there? I think for dad, I think he was really, uh, it was like a kid for him. Mm -hmm. he, he was... When he went through his training in Vietnam, the guys that trained him were all World War II vets. And since he was in the 82nd Airborne, they were all guys that had jumped in at Normandy. And so for him to go, he actually saw the St. Maraglis. He would see the, the, the cliffs of, of Point du Hoc where the Rangers got their motto, Rangers lead the way. And it was, for him, it was just a big living history. He, he, I, it was kind of neat to sit back and watch him be so excited about it all. Yeah. What do you appreciate most about the opportunities to work with veterans, troops, perform? What, what's impacted you the most? Impacted me? Personally, just watching, working with, with, those, with those folks who have served and are serving. Mm -hmm. What does that do to your soul and your heart? Oh, man, that's because that's, that's, 
using your superpowers for good. I, I mean, we all love that, right? If, if, if you get that chance to go out and do music and sing for a living and, and talk for a living, I, the fact that I get to go, over, the best shows that we'll do will be these tiny little outposts at Christmas time in Afghanistan because it means so much. It means so much to both sides. They're telling you, thank you for being here. No one's come to see us. And you're saying, oh, thank you for your service. And it's this big, you know, this big thank you fest and everybody's thanking mm -hmm. each other. But in the end, I've been there and I know what that does mean. And you will never forget the people that came to see you right. during your time overseas. Yeah, and the significance of, you're one of them. Yeah. You're one of their guys as well. Talking about music, you traded your, your rifle for a guitar a number of years ago, and God has, has given you an opportunity to, to really use that platform, too. Mentioned your CD that just came out. It's called Give It Away. Why the name Give It Away on this third album? Yes. I, I love that they have mentioned my CD. Here's the new record. The good thing about having a new record is that there's actually a new record because uh, the the, the, you, know, you could not have a record and then you wouldn't even have a career. But we called it Give It Away because that's pretty much what we all do with our music these days anyway. <laughs> and, and there's a message in that. The, the, the title track is a song about, you know, you get what you give. Your mom was right. The Bible was right. Jesus was right. And, and what you put into it, it comes back. So we decided we were going to put that test uh, or we're going to put it to the test and see. So we've been giving out the record at, at our shows. And it's only been out for a week, but we've been giving it out to people who, uh, who come. Yep. And we're going to see what happens. But you can purchase on the iTunes, as we mentioned as well, and so feel free to go there and check yeah. out his music as, in, in that way too. Now, yeah, if you have money, you, you should give it use up. It, support I, you know, it, right? Hell, you've got to eat, right? <laughs> What's the coolest place you've been able to perform at? The coolest place was the Yankee Stadium. and then For the, a World Series game. For, right. for the world, it was the first game of the World Series. Um, got to sing the anthem, and that was amazing. That was pretty amazing. It was the coolest 90 seconds of, of I've ever got to sing. I would say the other one would be anytime you get to do the Opry. We just play the Opry, uh, the Grand Ole Opry on Memorial Day weekend, hmm. and it's it's just a reminder that you're solidly part of country music. It's a neat thing. Yeah. What's What's great about the story of, of Yankee Stadium is I know that you were there to sing the seventh inning stretch. Shortly before, you had to fill in for a lesser-known guy. I, what was his name? Jay-Z. Jay-Z, that's right. Yeah. I, maybe you've heard of him, but <laughs> tell us what was, happened with that. It was Jay-Z and Alicia Keys were going to do that song, New York, New York, and the, but it rained all day, so they couldn't set up the stage that they wanted to have, and so they were like, well, what are we going to do? Because she was going to go into the anthem, and he had this beat that he laid down, and they, so they know who to call when... Uh, <laughs> When Jay-Z can't, can't do the anthem, they call me. But I was, I was there to do the uh, God Bless America, and I said, hey, we want you to do the anthem, and you have to pass the test of Fox. Right. So they put you out there in the middle of the field and make you sing to the camera, and then they go, okay, oh, he's going to work. It'll be fine. And so when the crowd all got there and they went live, the, <laughs> the cameraman's standing there with the camera, and they go, ladies and gentlemen, the national anthem now by Kenny Thomas. And the crowd cheers, and he goes like this, don't mess it up. <laughs> and you didn't you and didn't you listened didn't. and you did it you did it yeah. well because just like here in church the words were up on the jumbo <laughs> good thing. Your song yeah, yeah. good yeah. well I, I know reading an interview after that you said in the last 10 years there were two moments that you got nervous that was one of them that was one and the second one was well, uh, when I asked uh, my wife to marry me. I still, I still kind of stumble on that one. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. But she said yes, and you've been married now. 
18 months. 18 months. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Her name's Chris. So, thank you. It's very so cool. So far, so good. So yeah. far, so good. Yeah, and we appreciate uh, you being here and being yeah. away from her. I know you guys are sometimes two ships passing in the night, right? Yeah, she's in the music business too, and it's a... Um, you know, it's, it is a low mileage relationship because we just haven't get to see each other much. So we're right. trying to work through that one. Got it. Yep. Well, let me go back a few years. Um, I know that in, in your childhood story, uh, your parents divorced at the, when you were just seven years old. So you spent a lot of time with your mom. What was that like growing up with mom? And, and did you go to church? Was God a part of your life? Did you pursue a relationship with Jesus? Just give us some perspective. Yeah. I, you know, mom grew up. Her mother was always active in the church. My, our grandmother was always, in, she was the church kitchen head. And so we were always oh, yeah. going to Sunday school and going, they put me through uh, a little Christian elementary school. And then as I grew into high school, it, uh, you know, we would go with mom begrudgingly on Sundays, like most of us. We, you know, we had things to do on mm-hmm. Sunday, like sleep in. We, we went to church. Important stuff, yeah. And, I had this, there was a lady named Rebecca who was the choir director at Trinity in Gainesville, Florida, and she kind of hunted me down. I was in, I had a band, I was in, you know, and she said, hey, why don't you come in and sing with the choir? I said, well, I don't, I don't do choir music. I'm too cool for that. Right. And she said, well, no, you can come and do whatever you want. And she's, her idea was to get these kids into the church that would not otherwise be there, which was people like me. And hopefully that message would start seeping in. And I, I, I will tell you that one of my five biggest influences musically was her because I think that whole music with a message has stuck with me you know mm-hmm. it's there you can do some fun stuff but at the end at the end of the day what are you really about right so you use that, that kind of from, as yeah. a starting point did you have a relationship with Jesus at that point was that no, a priority to you yeah I didn't have a <laughs> if I, we, we were talking about earlier if it had been a relationship where it was somebody who actually you cared about they would have left a long time, long time ago, ago. Yeah, it was pretty lazy I mm-hmm. guess is what it was you know you said you're you said your prayer at night, and every now and then, if you got something good, you're like, "Oh, thank you, Jesus." But right. it was very. There wasn't much of a, a, a relationship. Yeah, it was, was more not religion, there, less sure. relationship in that process right. too of going through the motions. Yeah. Shortly after that, growing, you went to school, went to college, decided to join the army. You wanted to be a ranger at that point. Go to ranger school. Mm-hmm. Now, I've heard the horrors. I've not experienced them, but the horrors of boot camp, ranger school, etc. What was one of the hardest parts or lessons learned in ranger school? In ranger school, ranger school is basically a leadership course that is open to the entire army. But if in the ranger regiment, if you want to move up, you have to go through ranger school. And and to get through it, it really all they do is they just don't let you sleep and they kind of they don't let you eat and they, they just put the body into a place where it's so stressed out. Yeah. Then you have to lead people, and that that's the whole point. And I think what I learned was, one, you can't do anything by yourself. Two, you've got to have, you, it, you've got to be able to motivate people when they don't want. I learned what it means to provide purpose, direction, and motivation. And then I learned what, what you laughed about in the last service was that you, you can actually walk and be asleep at the same time. Can you now? And not know it. Really? Yes. I, I learned it. They, please, uh, please tell. <laughs> We were, we were crossing a river, and there's a technique to crossing a river. And, uh, and you know what? I'm going to pause for a second. How many veterans are in, in the audience, by the way? Y'all raise your hands for a second. I want to count them out. Mm. That's a, thank you for your service. <laughs> what, 
what happened to this side of the room was like nobody, hey, if you're a veteran, don't sit over there. <laughs> um, thank you for serving. But they're, they're going to laugh at some of these stories because they, they totally right, get they it. We're, we, we, there's a technique to crossing the river, and you're waiting for the guy to get across, and, you're, and they're, they're dragging this rope. And so I'm watching the guy go out, and it was in the middle of the night sometime. He's crossing, and I can't figure out why he has a, a piano strapped to his back, which didn't make any sense. And so I'm, I'm following him to start yep. playing the piano. Of course, yeah. And, and next thing I know, somebody's hitting me. I'm like, hey! And, and I, I wake up, and I'm about 10 yards walking downriver with, uh, with, the, with the whole group going that way. I totally <laughs> had been asleep, not knowing what I was doing, right. dreaming, hallucinating that there was a piano do you remember what you were playing? Um, I don't remember what I was playing, but I did learn that I'm, from now on I'm going to learn to play guitar because the piano looked very heavy. It looked very heavy on yes. somebody's back. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good. But that prepared you for Somalia. I mean, it wasn't that much. You, you finished ranger school, and from that point till being at Mogadishu was how long? Uh, probably about a year I had about been. A year. Uh, I okay. became a sergeant and became a squad leader or a team leader and, and got to that point where... I was leading troops. Yeah. Yeah. Over there. So that gets us to the point we kind of heard on the video. Mm -hmm. We heard why you were there, what was going on. You're into, you know, doing this extraction. And, and then we see, you know, before I get into those details, we see this video called, or, or movie, Black Hawk Down. I'm always curious. I'm sure others who have seen it. How accurate was the movie? Were you portrayed in it? Was there anything that was off in it? They, and that's, I always ask you, well, how was it like the movie? And I'll tell you that long before they ever made a movie, you know, there were parts that we called Hollywood because I hadn't seen anything like it. It was crazy, the, yeah. the level of gunfire at some points. And yes, I felt like they did a good job. My, there's other parts that they didn't even come close, which mm -hmm. is the guys that run the vehicles. My buddy Jeff Struker, who you know, Jeff is a pastor, and Jeff had was now was on those vehicles, and Jeff will tell you. That if you can imagine driving through uh, New Orleans, like those Bourbon Street, mm -hmm. at full-on Mardi Gras with everybody shooting out of the windows, because that's what it was like in the vehicles, which wow. is, you know, for me, I was very glad that I was never on the vehicles. Yes. I, I was on foot at the crash site, and at least I could move and jump behind something, you know, and hide, get, get, take some cover if I needed to. But I don't, uh, I think that they did a good job. I don't think it embarrassed anybody. Yeah, did well. So... Your book, which, which has been mentioned already today, Get It On, What It Means to Lead the Way, and we have copies available afterwards, does a great job of, of kind of telling Kenny's story, and so I'd encourage you to pick that up and, and read through that to get a lot more in depth. There's a lot more that's in that book than we have the time to cover today. Mm -hmm. But speaking of, of entering into the battle, you're there initially to get some bad guys. You come in on a helicopter, they drop you down, you weren't on a vehicle, you were on the ground, and all of a sudden you get the word, Black Hawk Down. Describe what that was like, where you were at, what was going through your mind, and what happened. So, yeah, the, most people don't know. It was a, the mission, it was a mission. We had gone in on a raid to hit this target building to get some bad guys. And we had, there were like three HVTs with high-value targets. There were three bad guys that, we, that were on our most wanted list, about a dozen others, brought them out. Delta guys tied those guys up. Trucks that were down the street waiting, the trucks come driving up, put the bad guys on the trucks, trucks drive away. The rest of us are waiting to go home. So there's 80 of us left on the target okay. building. And at this point, assuming the mission's done. Yeah, you guys are yeah, good. We're, we're already home. congratulating we're each yeah. other, thinking, you know, wow, just combat. People have been shooting. We're shooting back. And, yeah. you know, woohoo, I qualified for a VA loan. Yeah. This is great. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> just ready to get out of there. And then it was just like that. The helicopter gets shot. And everybody kind of hears the radio start coming alive. Okay. And we all watched it happen. The bird got hit. 
if, if y'all, if this is north, that would be east. So the bird gets hit and it starts spinning off to the northeast. And it's going to crash into the city over, over behind us. And it's only about five blocks away. And I can totally relate to y'all what we were feeling because you've, you've felt the same thing. And mm-hmm. if you've ever been in, especially if you've ever been in like a car wreck or something just unexpected happened and it's like, bam! And it, or you turn on the TV and some kid was walking to a school shooting other kids or people were getting blown up in Boston and you're sitting there thinking, well, I, I can't believe that's happening. And that's what we were both all thinking. I can't believe that's happening because that was the 160th Special Operations Air Regiment. Those guys were as good as it gets. They, that, they're not that's what's supposed to happen, right? Nope, they don't get shot down. Right. And, there the, and there it was. They were getting shot down. And fortunately, we had the planning. We had the training and all the things that the military is good at, the just-in-cases. And we're like, well, okay, we knew what we had to do. And so the mission completely changed. It was now go secure the crash site. So the 80 of us are going to pick up and move towards the crash. And in the same time, all those vehicles that are driven away, they're all going to try and start rerouting back to the crash. So now you've got two sort of groups of people converging. Actually, you have three groups of people because the entire city was running to the crash. You could see them in the alleyways and in the other streets just sprinting. So it became a big foot race to try and get to that crash to save those guys. Who got there first? Fortunately, well, the bad guys got there first, but they didn't have but about a minute and a half, and the rescue bird that was on station started roping guys in. And those guys had, actually four of those men got shot going in. That's how hot it was as soon as, I mean, this thing was full on pretty quick. And those guys that roped in put a perimeter around the bird and held on for about five minutes till we could get there. Wow. So it was, it was a so what happened? heated battle. You, you get there, mm-hmm. a couple guys, they're there trying to rescue them. All this is going on. We know the battle took about 18 hours before you're out. So what, what else is happening? What's, what's going on? What else happened? Yeah. Well, how, how long do you guys <laughs> Hang on here. Um, you know, as the 80 of us were moving and we made, when, when we made the left turn around the corner, if you can picture the crash site up there in the alleyway and then two blocks of people fighting, that's pretty much where it went down. Mm-hmm. And the reason it took so long is because one of the pilot's bodies had been crushed into the wreckage and we couldn't, we couldn't cut them couldn't out. out. And so we needed equipment. So we figured, all right, we'll just wait for the equipment to get to us. They're almost here. And then the almost here started stretching and then we started taking more wounded guys and then we started taking more wounded guys. Okay. And then by that time we had so many wounded guys, we couldn't move them out. And now the, it became no longer we needed equipment, we needed help to get our guys out. Um, and that's, we've pretty much fought through the whole night for that reason, waiting for the vehicles to get to us. And those guys are just getting hammered in the streets. Where were you putting? I mean, where were you finding safe havens or to have those wounded folks? Yeah, anywhere you can. Uh, there's a, you know, we call it cover and concealment. There wasn't a lot of concealment because they already knew you were there. So right. they, 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 they know their own streets better than we do. So we just started pushing in behind walls into courtyards, knocking indoors, getting out of the street. And uh, we, that's where we kind of hold up mm-hmm. throughout the night until the morning and, and yep. you can get away. Now, during this battle, you, you mentioned being in combat, your first experience in combat. Not only were you in the combat, being shot at, you actually got hit. Tell us about that. Oh, yeah. And you know, it's, it's funny. First of all, it feels like you and I are sitting in a living room, except there's like a thousand people staring at us. <laughs> it's kind of, Just uh, listen to that. Um, yeah, it, and it seems real inconsequential that I almost got hurt when so many guys did get hurt, but the the it's one of those 
those stories where it was a piece of equipment that was less than an inch wide that stopped the first bullet. Wow. And then the second bullet skipped, they skipped off of a wall, which is where they teach you don't lean, but it just feels safer, you know, mm -hmm. and because bullets kind of follow the wall. And it skipped off, hit, the, hit my magazine right there, and then the other one skipped off of the, the very bottom, like just the last inch of the body armor, and just skipped off it. And it was, the magazine well was just smoking from all the, the ammo that was starting to burn. And my buddy, Randy, apparently this is a funny thing when it happens to people, because Randy was laughing at me, going, ah, you know, because it's Real okay. funny, if, yeah, you know, it's hilarious. Okay. Hey, look, let me tell you something. If people are sh uh, shooting at you and they don't hit you, it's just like they never shot at you at all, so no need to get upset about it. <laughs> I will take your word for that, yeah. so. Yeah. It, it would just drive you nuts if you got upset <laughs> if all the, the rounds going by, so yeah. Well, which leads me to, I know in your book you talk about the difference between panic in fear. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling panic just listening to your story about bullets coming by me, but tell me, what is the difference between panic and fear in a battle? Um, well, fear, fear's a, uh, fear's a natural reaction, and it's a healthy thing. It's okay. It's okay to be afraid. Um, but panic is a whole nother level of the fear. And what happens when fear will get you moving. It'll get the chemicals in your body pumping. It'll get your headspace focused and it. it'll get you your adrenaline going. And but panic, what it does, panic makes you save yourself. It starts telling you, run away, hide, get out of the way. Don't let this happen to you. And it's very easy to get that way when you start people see people start going down. But what panic does is it it makes you save yourself. And when you save yourself, what are you doing? you're leaving other people hanging. And, and one of the, it's, it would have been easy. Anybody could have stepped out of that fight at any point. You could have just jumped behind a wall you know, and like reloaded and right. taken a breather. But mm -hmm. nobody did because they knew if they did that, that they were leaving a gap in the line. And they also, we all knew how important each person was. Right. You know, rank wasn't part of it. It was each person had a job. And if you didn't, if the 203 gunner gets hit, oh my gosh, where's our 203 gunner? Someone grab the 203 and we've got to fill that gap. And I just never saw anybody step out of the line because of panic. Right. Panic's a big, you've seen it. Y'all know what panic is. I don't have to explain it to you. Were there moments you talk about, we know what it feels, it's here. Mm -hmm. You said you got to push it down. Yeah. What was one of the moments in the battle where you had to do that? You well, had to fight that panic. The minute somebody gets hurt. Because here's what... We can train you, and you'll hear soldiers and Marines and the guys that have been under fire, they'll tell you, well, yeah, my, or, or even firemen or police officers, well, my training kicked in. Well, yeah, your training kicks in because we teach you how to react. But what I can't teach you how to do is how to care. I can't teach you how not to care. Mm -hmm. I can't teach you about your feelings. And you care that that's a friend of yours. You care that that's a buddy. You care that that's somebody that got hurt, and you care that that could happen to you, and you start going, but you've got to keep that. Because out here in the real world, if somebody gets hit or somebody gets hurt, you know, we show up. So see, as, a, as a church, you know, we show up and we'll right. put our arms around you. Right. Well, hey, what can we do to help? And right. we'll, but at that time, you can't. All you can do is fill the gap in the line, hmm. pull that guy aside, do the best you can to keep their body going, and drive on. And you stick it in the back of your head, and you're like, I'll deal with it later. I got you. 
and there is a later. Mentalize it, yeah. It doesn't just disappear. Right. Uh, there is, it stays on the hard drive, and there is a later. And that. Yeah, you know, we're gonna we're gonna come back yeah. to that because that's a part of your story post Correct. the battle as well. Give us give us an example. I know there were many heroic moments that you watched, heard, experienced in that battle. Give us give us one that comes to mind that you watched. Well, I mean, I saw guys do things that were just complete acts of valor that that we would define as the truest, in the truest essence of the definition, heroic, like putting their lives on the line. But for me, I, I saw that, that moment, when that started happening, was the first guy that I saw get hit was a Delta Force operator. His name was Earl, Earl Fillmore. Earl went down pretty hard, and his team leader was working on him. His team leader was Sergeant Hooten, and the two of us are trying to figure out how to get Earl out. And I said, well, maybe we can move him out on foot. I think the vehicles are coming. And, and Hooten looks at me and just says, very, very matter-of-factly, he's like, nah, man, Earl's dead. And I went, and I looked over, and, and Earl was dead. I mean, you could tell from here to there. Like, and I, I'm no expert on it. I hadn't been around a lot of people who had been dying, and you didn't have to check his pulse or listen for his airways. You could just tell. Like, it didn't even look like Earl anymore, and, like, his soul had, you know, gone someplace else. And, and, you know, I like to believe for, you know, Earl was where we hoped that his soul would go. But I also know at that moment, it became a reality for all of us. Like, oh, wow, that could happen. If that happened to that guy, and he's a super soldier, he's as good as it gets. He was the Delta Force varsity squad all-star elite. What does that mean for me? And that's when I saw people realize, okay, I can try and save myself. But how far do you think you're going to get? And, and it's saving yourself is exhausting, y'all. I mean, it really is. And that's when I saw, I mean, I'm sure there's some single moms out here that can get up here and tell that story better than me about trying to, having to save yourself and, and do it all. And that's when we all start realizing that absolute of, oh, well, we're not going to let that happen to each other. And that's the only way we're going to make it out of here. Right. Because if it happened to him, it yeah. certainly could happen to us. So let's make double sure that we take care of each other. And that's, that's. You yeah. Know, once again, you weren't the squad leader going in. Had to step in with an injury to the squad leader, and and there were some moments where you talk. You mentioned hold the line, everybody do their part. One of your guys in your team, Floyd. There's a significant part of his story about stepping up when it's needed. Yeah. Right. Floyd, I would have told you when when I had a pretty good squad of guys, and Doug was the squad leader. When Doug got hit, they they had to medevac him out. So they're moving him down the road. He got hit in the neck, and the medic's working on him. I knew he was going to be okay because he was walking and talking. Mm -hmm. And this was early in the fight. And Sergeant Watson, my platoon sergeant, comes in. He goes, all right, Bourne's been hit. He goes, you're in charge. I said, well, what happened to him? Is he okay? And he's like, <laughs> he goes, you're in charge. Mm -hmm. And I realized what he was trying to tell me because all I was doing was stalling. And that's that. And, I, again, I, I struggle with that on a weekly basis. I find myself in situations yep. where it's like, man, I... I didn't ask for that job, or that's not my responsibility, or my favorite one is somebody ought to do something, do something about, about that. that. <laughs> I'll see it. You know, and at this point, like, we don't have to be happy about the situations we get stuck in or put in, but that situation is yours to deal with, right. and, and it's, we have to take charge, because if we don't take charge, who will? And that, it's someone else that's around us, usually. It's not some mystical person across the globe. It's the people around you, so you, you can't let them down. So we took charge of the squad. 
the least of my guys, my youngest guy was David Floyd. And you mentioned Floyd. And I'll tell you, he would have been the problem child. He would have been the one that I thought I had to work at and spend all this time helping and coaching and mentoring. You know, I got my own problems to deal with. It's hard enough. I don't need to be dealing with Floyd. But we had to. We had to lift him up to a higher standard. We had to hold him and give him that compass of that true north so he knew what the right thing was to do. And it was on the run out of the city the next morning, it was David Floyd who stepped up. stepped up. And when every one of us should have seen the bad guys, we didn't. And I can tell you why we didn't see it, but Floyd did. He did. And Floyd saved us all. And I would have told you that Floyd was the least of us. And I was wrong because at that moment I was the least of us because I knew exactly what the right thing was and I was not doing it. I was not leading by example, but that young man did. And he was, he was in charge of no one but himself, but he saved all of our lives. And moments like that are, are priceless in, in life lessons. I will never forget that. I will never underestimate people again who want to be there. You got folks that are coming in. I mean, let's get back to to the church. You got folks coming in here. You got people that come to you because as Christians, they're going to see something in you. It doesn't matter that you could be a varsity Christian player. You could be JV at it, but there's folks that are going to come to you and they're going to want to know what is this thing. And that's your, that's your chance to step up and say, well, you know, I mean, I don't have all the answers, but I, I know the one who does and follow me. And that's, you surround yourself with those people and then you help them, lift them up to a standard. Mm -hmm. I guess that's a good, is that a good? Yeah, that's great. And I think that part of who, that was, who am I? wasn't written down or anything. <laughs> no, it wasn't written down for me either. Okay, so got I think that's the importance of who that true north is, right? It's not yeah. a mystical thing for us. It's Jesus. Yes. And, and it's, it's word in the Bible that helps us understand who he is and what he's done for us. Because I think if you go back, you saw people dying. You saw people giving up their lives. You saw those guys holding the line to the point of their death. How does that impact you when you think about what Christ has done in giving up his life for you? I mean, these are guys that you fought with. Now you have Jesus. How have you, how have you worked through that? Yeah, and that's a, uh, that's a tough question, John. Thanks. Um, mm. And I mean it because it, it's, it's confusing, actually. It really is because I'll tell you where years of my life, I had no problem telling people I was a man of God and, and I had faith and, you know, and I... You know, the church is a good place for you to start and begin your healing process. Sure. But, but I, this whole guy, this whole concept of this guy named Jesus, I knew he was what the church was all about, Christianity, but I didn't get the whole concept of somebody dying for you because the pastors would stand up there and say it. The youth ministers would say this, this, the bands would sing it. You know, he died for you. And I'd be like, hey, dude, I got six guys I can name by name that died for me. And that's the way we all looked at it. And, and I get it, and it's a struggle, so it was very confusing. Like, what makes him different? And I think that's where my choice and my journey started really stepping up was because I knew that there should be a difference. And why was there not for me? And so I needed to start learning the magnitude of what it means to have, and that was a better word than- It's a good word. Yeah, I, nice. should, I stumbled through this on the last service, so you guys are getting the best part. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> The magnitude of, of who the Son of God is and what that meant that he didn't just die for his buddies to his left and his right. He died for all, all the, everybody. You, the oh good ones, the bad ones, the dirt bags, the people that you wouldn't even blink at, he still did. And you're like, wow, it's a little bit bigger than, 
than what I even can fathom. And that's what I'm trying to Absolutely. learn. And that's what, you know, my reading and, and talking to people and, and get going where I think he's leading me. So I start learning more about what, what, the, what does that mean to be right. a follower of, right. of the man? Of, yeah, to give up my life for someone who right. gave up his life for me. And, and, and we'll come back to that in a minute because I know that's part of your story post the battle as well. And help us understand, how did you get out? You're talking about this fight, converging, you know, helicopters here. Mm -hmm. You did make it. How? What happened? They, how did we get out? The, the infantry is basic, at its basic level, that's what the rangers are. They're, they're an elite infantry unit. And infantry stands for foot soldiers. So in the end, that's what we used, that's man. We had to run. run. There were no more rides. The, we put all the wounded guys on all the vehicles that came for us the next morning. And we had, we had all of our buddies on the vehicles that had been shot up and beat up and blown up, came, kept coming for us. Put the wounded guys on there, the 10th Mountain guys from weren't even our unit. They weren't even part of our group. They came in and they got shot up, blown up, beat up, trying to come in. They helped. I put those wounded guys, wounded guys, and that left about 25 of us. And we were, we ran. That was the, and I, that was the part I started getting the most upset was on the run out because I'm thinking, this is, what a stupid plan this is. I could have ran out of here last night. Right. Why, why right. am I waiting? <laughs> 18 hours later, right. I'm still here. And, and, what, and that's when I, I use this term. I don't even know if you're allowed to use it in the church, but the, I, I, I call it that we get a case of the screw-its, which is you get so frustrated yeah. and angry with the situation that you're in, and you're thinking, man, this has gone so far beyond what everybody else has to deal with. Screw it. And you just start doing whatever you think yep. you should be doing right. to save yourself. And it's another form of panic. And I saw guys doing it. When you cross the street, What's the first thing that they taught us when we were little kids? Look both ways. Right. Absolutely. And people, I'm just telling you, people are shooting at you. That's still a great concept. <laughs> Look both ways. And people Good stopped doing it. They just started because they were just thinking it doesn't matter. Screw it. And they just started running across the road. And they stopped doing the right thing. And what that does, it's a form of panic. And what does panic do? It leaves people hanging. Guys weren't really covering for each other as they crossed the street, and that's how you're supposed to do it. And at one point, we all started bunching up on that run out of the city, and that's when I felt, I was like, this is getting, this is getting out of hand. You could feel the tension because it was, it, they were still shooting. And that's when it was David Floyd. Yes. Floyd stepped up, Amazing. pushes, almost pushes me onto the ground. and goes, Sergeant Thomas, look out. Bam, bam, bam. And he looks down the road, and he saw two guys with rocket launchers aimed right at us. Now, I don't know if Floyd hit the guys, but he fired a burst down the alley and sent them back. The rockets misfired, and all of us stood there like deer in the headlights going, good shot, Floyd. <laughs> um, well done. The, the least of us was the guy, and it was, but he wasn't the least of us now, was he? Right. It was just I had, I had misread that young man, mm -hmm. but why did Floyd do the right thing? Well, one, because we taught him and took the time to teach him and lifted him to this high standard, but Two, because he made a choice to lead and do the, do the right thing. And I, and I even, even if you get, yeah. I mean, you and I could sit and write, probably write another book, but if you sat down and read through the New Testament, all of it is still a choice. This, the SOPs are there. The God is there. Jesus is there. I'm ready for it. But it's still a choice that he wants you to make to lead hmm. and do the right thing and set the example for us. And once you do it, Okay, that's great. Thank you for volunteering. Right. 
but it doesn't just stop there. You know, it doesn't make everything necessarily right. get easier. Either. Right, not at all. And it, it's, it's not just a choice to lead, it's a choice to also give your heart to Jesus and say, I'm going to let someone else lead my life so that right. I can lead others, which I think is what you're saying. Speaking of two guys that, that yes, really... Yes, that's what I meant to say. What, no, I what, just what, tied... No, what no, the no, pastor... That's what you did yeah, say. Okay, okay. That's Got what it. You, but, but before we talk a little bit more about that, one last thing about the battle that, that I think is significant to mention on from those heroic moments where there was a moment where there was a, a pilot trapped and two guys came in to get him. Tell, mm-hmm. us, tell us why that was such a special moment. Um, yeah, there was a second crash that went down, and thank you for mentioning that. When the first bird went down over here behind us, the second bird that came in to replace them in the rotation was Mike Durant's aircraft, Super 6-4. Super 6-4 got shot down within three minutes. He was hit and went down over there uh, about a mile away. There was nobody left to get to that crash except for two guys, and their name was Gary Gordon and Randy Shugart. Gary Gordon and Randy Shugart were both Delta Force operators, snipers, and they were in one of the helicopters that was being used as a sniper platform. When they saw that second bird go down, they realized, and I've seen the video feed, y'all, and I'm telling you the truth, there were 200, 200 bad guys with weapons running for that crash, and everybody on that crew was still alive. Gary Gordon and Randy Shugart knew what was coming for them, they knew what they were doing by putting themselves in between that crash and those guys. They knew that help was at least 10 minutes away, but they figured they could hold it off. And they ended up fighting at that crash site until they ran out of ammo. And they, they both, both of those guys died trying to save the one guy that was still alive died. by that point. Who and did it was, survive, right? That Mike Durant was survived. taken captive. Uh, Mike, wrote a, Mike wrote an amazing book called In the Company of Heroes. And his journey of faith while he was captive is... is but he will tell you that by the grace of God, if it wasn't for those two guys, mm-hmm. yeah, he wouldn't be around. And Gordon and Shugart were both awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor. And it's the only time in the history of that citation where they've done it for the two guys for the exact same actions. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. And incredible, again, that idea of giving up your life as Christ has done, knowing that they were going to lose theirs. And so right. how much more... That Christ has done that for us. So let's talk about that. Let's transition because in hearing your story, again, there's a lot more to the story. I encourage you to grab the book. It would be easy to assume. You'd mentioned earlier, hey, kind of lazy relationship, going through the motions. We've experienced that. But that coming through Somalia, you'd go, man, I am tight with Jesus now. Yeah. Like I've been through that. I've been shot at. I've been battled. I watch people die. But that's not exactly what happened. Tell us kind of your journey because it was a process, like many of us, as we walk with Jesus and explore our faith, it doesn't happen overnight, what were some of the key moments for you in that journey? You're right. You would think that if you make it through that, you're like, you know, hey, God, if you bring me through this, I promise I'll go to church every Sunday and I'll call my mom, you know, like, (laughs) right. And, but I got back and I, and I stayed in for a while and it, the, the, the most difficult part was how do you make the transition home from that back to a, what, what we call the new normal. Because like, out here in the real world, it's different. You, know, you have to, it's not necessarily a life and death issue every day. Right. And it's tough to go from that where you've taken all the stuff that you've stuck in the back of your head and you're like, I'll just deal with it later. And then people aren't going to understand. You don't want to talk about it. You just, you know, it, I don't want to sound like I'm bragging. It's just something I did. But then this, this story exploded with the movie. And then people came to you. And you couldn't hide that story anymore. And so I pretended under this, oh, yeah, 
you know, hua, hua, Black Hawk Down. I'll tell, right. tell the story proudly. And inside, I was like, what, what, why am I so upset? Why am I so mad about having been a part of this? And what it took me many years to figure out, and it came from talking to other soldiers, basically guys, they were coming home from Afghanistan in the, in the hospitals. And, and I would sit down. They didn't know I was a ranger. They just thought I was some country music guy coming in to say, hey. And they would tell their story. And I, I saw it. every single one of them would end their story with, I, I just want to get back to my unit. And I realized what it was is that they, there, they felt a part of something and they felt important. And out here, they didn't know who they were, or what they were doing, but they were guilty. They felt bad about not being there mm -hmm. for their friends. Yeah. And then that guilt, guilt's a powerful thing, man. It's, and it's tough. It's, it'll start eating away at you, and it'll start taking on different forms. You know, guilt's a form of a bad cancer inside of you. And it changed from guilty for not being there for my buddies to guilty for having even made it out of there to begin with. And the good life starts trying to wrap its arms around you, and you start pushing it away because in your head, that little enemy is going, you don't, you don't deserve this. Mm -hmm. Think about Casey. Think about Pilla. Think about Shugar, Gordon. Those guys had families. They deserve this, and they're not here, are they? Because they fought for you, and you and you started you start believing it. And it was a tough, tough thing. And it wasn't, you know, we could. It, it's a long conversation about how I got back into those conversations with God, and trying to invite Jesus mm -hmm. into my life. But it wasn't until that that things started healing. And I started realizing, okay, the only place, and, and I, you know, I'm just pretty matter of fact about it. I, it may, it may not work. For, I don't know. I don't know what, you're, what, what it is you're carrying with you, but I do know this, that rucksack, the only place that I knew that was big enough and strong enough to take that weight off of my shoulders was at the cross. That was the only place that worked. And which is why you will, you will see that faith. You will see that gratitude in me. And it's still a but it's still a gradual, I'm still learning, man. I'm not, I'm not where you are. Like, I, mm -hmm. I don't, you can get up here and you can pull this thing out and be like, hey, I can give you guys a really great lesson on, hey, tell us about how, what Paul said while he was in the dungeon. And, <laughs> and you would be able to know what to say. But, mm -hmm. And I'm still learning because I want to be ready if someone does ask me. Right. Because I promise you, right. they're going to start asking you. When they start seeing it in you, which is what we all want, we want to be used, we want to be conduits. That's a good word, huh? Conduits, great word. We want to be conduits. <laughs> People are going to come to you. And, and, and Winston Churchill said it too. He says, what a, what a bummer. Well, he doesn't use the word bummer, but what a, what a sad state of affairs if you're not ready when people come to you. Because that's our great commission is to point, once we've come to know him, now we start pointing people towards Absolutely. him. And, but you better know what you're talking about. And it, must be, it has to be real for you first. And I think that's what's great about your story. And I am going to pull out a okay. verse from Paul Look since you mentioned Paul. Is that all right? All right? Yeah. That I, I use him? Yeah. Because I think what you said earlier just drives this point home as we come to a close. Because, again, there's so many pieces that are a part of that in, in understanding the grace that you've been shown first. Because you're right. It's not fair. You didn't deserve to live and then those other guys die. And yet God in his sovereignty has kept you here to tell your story. And so thinking of that idea between the difference between, hey, a comrade laying down his life and Jesus laying down his life. I'm thinking of what Paul writes in, in Romans chapter 5. Starting verse 6, he says, you see at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. 
Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, we get somebody dying for their, for their comrade. We, we understand protecting our family. But what about when we're enemies of God and God sends his son to die for us. I mean, that is amazing. That's why it's called amazing grace. It's, it, it's, it's unfathomable when you think about it. We were enemies of God. He knew who we would be and what we would do, and he still chose to die for us. I mean, that's, that's incredible. It's amazing. And so as I think of Kenny's story, and, and we bring this to a close, I think it, it, it's real easy to draw a number of different applications from this. We all have that rucksack on our back. We have that baggage. You know, what I love about Kenny's story is that he's not shy to talk about the journey that he was on, the steps that he had to take, the process that he had to go through himself, the anger, the guilt, bitterness, despair, frustration, broken relationships. He's talked about all of that that God used to bring him to a place at the foot of the cross. And that's where each one of us stands here today. All of us have that opportunity to stand at the foot of the cross where the ground is level and to take that burden and put it on him. He's already taken it. He's already paid the price with his life, with his blood, and conquered death, came back to life, and he's coming back for us. And so as we stand here today, there's so many different places. I mean, there's the leadership stuff of being able to, I've got a choice to make. Not just a choice to lead, I've got a choice to make. Am I going to choose to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior? There are those of you here in this room that have a story that's similar as Kenny's, similar to Kenny's. You've dealt with that anger, that bitterness, that rage, that frustration, those broken relationships, and it's time for you to let go of that. It's time for you to, to take that sack off and give it to Jesus. It's time for you to make that choice today doesn't happen passively. It doesn't happen just by, by hoping something. It's a volitional choice, just as he was in the battle of having to say, okay, now I've got to step up. I've got to make this choice to do what's right. I want to challenge you with that today. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to ask us to, to bow our heads, because I know in a room like this and the stories that are there, we heard, we heard Kenny's story, and it's a powerful story. But our God has written a story on each one of our hearts. In that story, he is relentless in his grace and pursuit of our hearts. And he wants you today, for the very first time, if you haven't, to be able to put your faith and trust in him alone. To remove that burden, to say, I'm done. I am done doing it my way. I am done trying to do it in my own power. I'm going to embrace my brokenness, my weariness, and my weakness and give my heart to Jesus. And so I'm going to pray. And if the Holy Spirit is prompting your heart right now, and it resonate with what Kenny has said and what this good news of the gospel declares, then you just pray right along with me. You declare that to God and to God alone. Scripture says, the same Apostle Paul that wrote that in Romans says that, that if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. You will be saved for now and for all eternity. And so if that's the longing of your heart today, would you pray along with me? Heads bowed. Jesus, thank you for being our Savior. Thank you for being my Savior. Thank you for, for laying down your life on my behalf, for shedding your blood on the cross, the only way that my sin could be satisfied, the only way that you could substitute my sin and place it on you, the only way that your atonement, your blood could cover it. And so, Lord, I stand before you a sinner in need of your grace. I stand before you broken, aware of my brokenness, and ready to stop doing it my way. 
ready to, to, to grab the hands of those around me and to give my heart to you. Lord, I confess my sin to you. Sin in the past, sin right now, sin to come. Recognize that I'm a sinner. I am not godly. But you and in your infinite grace and love demonstrated your love by dying for me. And so today I choose, I make a choice, I decide to follow you and you alone. I give you my heart. If you're in this room today or if you're in one of our campuses listening right now and, and for the very first time that has resonated with your heart and your soul, I just want to ask you to, to, to make evidence, to stand up, to make, a, to make a choice by just raising your hand, to be able to declare. This is just between you and God. Just go ahead, just slip it up real quick and put it down is that today I'm making a decision to follow God. Just slip it up, slip it down, to step up, to lead the way. For some of you men, here's an opportunity for you to lead your families. I've been dragging my feet, I've been on the sideline, I've been doing them out. Today is a day that I am choosing to give my heart to God. For others, for, for, for students, for moms, to say today, if it's you, just, just quickly raise your hand and put it back down. Father, thank you for those that have made that decision to follow you today, who have, who have made a choice, turn their back on a life of sin, and to give their heart to you. And I pray that you will grow their faith, seeds that have been planted, and we welcome them to the family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome to those of you who are joining our family for the first time. And no matter what campus that you're at today, I want to... I want to offer you a free gift today. We have a welcome center at each of our campuses. Here in St. Charles, it's off to the back, in the back of the auditorium, behind the glass uh, walls. Bartlett and Blackberry, it's also in the back of the auditorium. DeKalb, it's across the lobby from the auditorium. We're going to sing a closing song called, Lord, I Need You. During that time, if God has prompted you, even if you didn't raise your hand, you're, we'd love to still see you. We want to invite you to go right back to the Welcome Center during this closing song. Instead of waiting till the end when everybody's rushing off, use this time right now to go. Somebody will be there to greet you, to hand you what we call a next step packet. We've found that those who make this decision, the quicker they can take the next step, the better the chance they have to stay on the path. And so it's just some resources, a copy of the New Testament, has a, the biographies of Jesus and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and uh, to be able to read one of those and a few other resources. And that's our gift to you that we'd love to help you take next steps. Does that make sense? We encourage you to do that. So before we give you that opportunity to go back during this song and our worship leaders at each of our campuses lead us in this closing song, would you join me in thanking Kenny Thomas for sharing his story and being with us? Thank you. Good job. Thank you very much.